Psalm 55, verse 22. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Well, the Bible is, of course, full of encouragement for believers. And one of the most delightful aspects of God's character is that he is so encouraging. We emphasise to believers, once someone has come to believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is everything to make him believe and think that God is for him, that none can be against him. That is in the sense of being successful in doing the Christian any permanent damage, spiritually speaking. Uh, They cannot. The unbeliever is encouraged to seek the Lord, is encouraged to ask for forgiveness. He is encouraged to see and believe that all could be so different, so much better, so eternally glorious. But alongside all the encouragement to come to the unbeliever, to come and believe in Christ, of course, is all the warning, all the threat of eternal punishment, the declaration of doom in eternity and misery in this world for those that turn away from this tremendously encouraging promise that the Lord makes to those that come and turn away from their sin and trust in him. Well, well, we uh, think of this here this morning. But for us now, we want to dwell a little on this most encouraging word for believers. Here, cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Well, we've read it twice. It's in our mind. We have it off by heart already, and that is good. Clearly, this is a word to the Lord's people. It is the righteous that are addressed. You see it there. He will never suffer the righteous to be moved. They are addressed, and of course this word righteous means good. The righteous are the good. Righteousness is goodness. It is the righteous that will not be moved. Now, this righteousness, of course, is an imputed righteousness. Well, what do we mean by that? Well, it is clear from Scripture and from ourselves that there is none righteous, no, not one, in and of themselves. But there are many that have been made righteous, made good by the cross of Christ. The righteous are the just, another difficult word, the justified, those that have been made right, made good in God's sight. And this can only be by imputation, by ascribing goodness, righteousness to them, by declaring them righteous, good, by reckoning them to be good in God's sight. The Bible teaches that though man in himself cannot be righteous, cannot be just, yet the grace and mercy of God has found out a way to justify him, to make him right with God. We read of Abraham, and he believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. God said to a man, you cannot keep my law. You cannot be pure and perfect 
You cannot be righteous. You cannot be good in your actions and in your thoughts. But this will I do if you will believe me. If you will submit yourself to my word and believe it, then I will take that instead. I will count it as righteous, righteousness. Not that we can even do that ourselves. That very believing in God is the gift of God. But God says, if you will do that, if you will believe and trust in me, I will forgive you and I will reckon you right in my eyes. I will impute righteousness, goodness to you. And a sort of double substitution takes place whenever a person takes God at his word, when he repents of his sin and turns away from his old life of sin and trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ and yields up his life to be the Lord's forever. Then God, on the one hand, imputes the righteousness, the goodness of Christ to that person. And on the other hand, Christ takes our sin and our law-breaking and suffers in our stead on the cross. And God in heaven declares us righteous, good in his sight. And from then on, such a person is seen as righteous, good by God. He calls them the righteous, as in this verse, and as in many other places of scripture. They, of all people, know that of themselves they're far from perfect but they know that they are viewed in God's eyes as perfect, as perfect as the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Amazing. And indeed, it is in such a condition and in no other that a person will enter that pure heaven that he has prepared for the righteous. And it is the righteous that are addressed in this verse. It is the righteous that will never be moved. And it is the righteous, those that are reckoned righteous by God, that can take great comfort and encouragement from this word. Well, let us first understand what this burden might be. Cast thy burden upon the Lord. Our first view of what a burden might be is, course, is of course a trouble, a difficulty. That's a burden, a difficulty, a sadness, a grief. This must be so for the very words, said it in the context of those sort of things, because it says here, the Lord will sustain thee. What burdens are ours? Some of them are part of ordinary life itself. Others are as a direct result of our being the Lord's and that opposition that Satan sets up against us. Other burdens, of course, result from disobedience and they come as chastisements from the Lord. Then, of course, there will be burdens of ill health, burdens that come upon us where we have great fears for all sorts of things, perhaps fears about our family members, fears about what's going on around us. They are fears. We have burdens about money problems. Of course, many have them in these days. Burdens that concern family problems or a want of guidance. Oh, we don't know what to do. Where are we going? What we should do next? Well, it's a great burden to us. And then, of course, disappointment is a great burden. We've had a great disappointment in life. No, oh, it hangs over us and it is a great burden. 
But then also, there are burdens to do with the ministry of the church. Lack of gospel success, that's a great burden. Limited blessing, coldness in worship. Well, of course, not all are burdened by these things, but that in itself is a burden to others. (laughs) That not others have the same feelings. Why is it that people can't be more zealous in their service of the Lord? Be here each week and at the services. And it's a burden to others that, that, that some find these things not so important in their lives. That's a burden to some. Then there are all the personal spiritual burdens. One's own lack of spirituality or of cold worship and of empty prayer. Prayer so often being so dull and so dry and so unreal. Well, of course, that's a great burden to the spiritual man. Burden over failure, uh, dealing with persistent sins. We just can't get on top of them. We can't seem to deal with them. Or other sorts of burdens being misunderstood by other Christians. So often can be the case. Or the burden of making big mistakes. Still, in Christian behaviour and witness, after many years of professing to be the Lord, still making the same old mistakes. It's such a burden to us. Sometimes, though, you can forget all that because as you come to such a verse as this, it really all boils down to just one thing. Maybe that's just so with you now as we come before the Lord. It's all very well for me to make a long list of different kinds of burden, but for you, it's just one thing, one great burden one nagging problem something that overshadows all else whatever it be what we might call spiritual or physical or just an insurmountable difficulty it becomes spiritual anyway because well it just takes us off from everything else it won't go away it perhaps has been around for a long time it is very much a burden because it presses us down it crushes us It cannot be lifted up by ordinary means and you're not even sure that there ever will be a solution to it. Well, let's at least come to here, uh, believing God's word, trusting this promise, granting at least that it addresses our situation and if it's not too irreverent to say, let's give it a go as we look at this verse here. Cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. But as we keep in mind some great personal burden, and we can hardly push it out, there is a wider scene to view here as as we try to understand what exactly this burden is. The word is well translated, burden. So uh, conjures up so many uh, very real ideas to our minds. But this word translated burden in our uh, good version is the word lot. It's the word lot. Cast thy lot upon the Lord. And our lot is what is given by providence. Thomas Boston, the famous Puritan, he wrote a little book. It's called The Crook in the Lot. And he shows in that uh, wonderful little book and a wonderful title to the book, The Crook in the Lot, he shows how our lot, all that God sends us in life, so often is interspersed 
with difficulty and trial and pain and grief. That's the crook. It's always there in the lot, especially of the Christian. And though our uh, verse here is absolutely applicable to a single burden, that perhaps one great difficulty of life that you're even thinking of just now, that difficulty that is thrown up upon us at any one moment, we can in fact widen the encouragement of the verse to all that life brings by way of difficulty and perplexity and sadness and pain where the whole of life all combined as it were spiritual, physical, mental things family, the heart, the head the ambitions the relationships with others and with God himself all that in the providence of God comes our way, our lot in life and remember for the Christian that's always for our ultimate good everything works together for our good and that good ultimately is that we're conformed to the image of his dear son well the word burden in the Hebrew is literally what is given what is given, the lot God has given it, whatever it is we can be sure of that whatever it is our lot, whether it be to be rich or poor, to be healthy or not, to be successful mainly in life or perhaps not, to be generally happy or to have a life filled with personal grief. Whatever our lot, our burden, we are encouraged to cast it upon the Lord. Now you see, this is not just a verse to dig out when we have a particular trouble or grief, but this is certainly an everyday exhortation as we rise in the morning, as we go to our beds. This is what we must do. And if we do this, the promise is, he shall sustain us. Some of our burdens are of our own making. By foolishness or disobedience or lack of faith or little discipline in our devotions, some Burdens, of course, are sent by the Lord to test our faith and our love. love. Others will come via Satan in the sort of Job sense as a proof of grace in our lives and a triumph for God as we hold on to our spiritual integrity. And yet other burdens are just because we live in this fallen world. The best burdens, of course, are those that fall on us because we genuinely want to do better and see the gospel progress. But all these burdens may be cast upon the Lord. Well, what's that? What is that to cast our burden on the Lord? This is a very interesting word, the word cast. It has the idea of throwing out. You remember when the Lord met the disciples, they'd been you know, in the boat all night, caught nothing, and he says, cast your net onto the right side of the boat. Well, it meant to throw it out as wide as possible, and then they caught a lot of fish. Have you had a throw out lately? Old clothes, clutter, books you don't want, things you don't want anymore. Sometimes you throw out something you just don't like. You just get rid of it, you throw it out, you cast it out. Well, here is what we are exhorted to do. But see, it is the burden that is cast, that is thrown out, not necessarily the thing that causes the burden. Simply, let me 
for instance, say this, if, say, some physical ailment causes pain, and that causes all sorts of grief, it causes either pain or disability or grumpiness, or it makes it difficult to pray or to do other spiritual things, then it's the burden that we are to cast upon the Lord. We throw it out. In other words, we come before the Lord in prayer, or we enter a new day and we say, Lord, Lord, this is a great trouble to me, this pain and this anguish. It causes me so much difficulty. But Lord, I throw it out. I cast it upon thee, my Saviour and my God. I do not expect that there should be some miracle cure or an easy solution, but I will not allow this to burden me. I take it, the trouble, this trouble as from thee. Thy rich providence has set this crook in my lot that I might prove thee and see that thou lovest me and that I might turn, in turn might prove my love to thee and that thy grace is sufficient for me. My burden, I throw it out. I cast it to thee. I leave it with thee. This burden, I throw it out and cast it to thee to superintend it, to work it all out, to fulfil all the purposes that thou hast sent it to me for. And of course, we will be mindful of the direction in which we cast it or the one to whom we throw it. See it to the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D. You know, this is Jehovah, the self-existent and eternal God. Jehovah, the Jewish national name of God. Jehovah, the Lord. I am that I am. For the Lord to be self-existent and eternal can only mean that he is the God of all resources, of all means to help us. And if he be our God, then sustenance is a foregone conclusion. To cast our burden on Jehovah is to be sure that help will speedily come. There can be no doubt. It is but for us to cast it and he will receive it and deal with it as we read here. He will sustain us. Have you a great burden here this morning? Throw it away. Cast it to the Lord. And so we read this tremendous promise. We read, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. Now this word sustain here in our English, well, it's an enormous word, one of the enormous words of Scripture. The English word might be enough for us, but the Hebrew word, well, it positively excites us. We hardly know where to begin with the help that this word gives to us. He will sustain thee. But the first thing to say is about this sustaining is to do with a sort of general understanding of this word. It has the idea of keeping in keeping in. It's like a flock of sheep. They're all in the field, under no control. Something has sparked them up to some trouble and they're running hither and thither in an uncontrolled way. And uh, the shepherd's so flustered. He's in a state. They're a great worry to him. He's frightened. They will cause harm or damage themselves. He cannot control them. They run here and there and he's at his wit's end. But then picture them in the fold by some mighty effort by the dogs or something or whatever there they are, they're huddled they're safe, they're under control they're no bother they're kept in 
And of course the difference is dramatic. The fevered brow of the shepherd is cool. He can now rest in peace. His trouble is over. He still has his sheep, but they are kept in, controlled, managed. You see, the burden is sustained, and so <laughs> is the shepherd. Well, he shall sustain thee. Cast thy burden upon him, throw it away in his direction, and you will soon find that everything is under control, all set within reasonable bounds, so as not to over-trouble you. The thing is still there, but it's kept in, under control. But not just the burden, but the whole life. The lot, yes, the whole lot. Can I say, yes, the whole jolly lot. All that providence sends your way. And by providence we mean God, our Father in heaven. All that he sends, all that he in fact gives us, cast it to the Lord and he shall sustain us. All will be kept under control. All will be hemmed in. Now this word sustain, this keeping in word, is very much in the sense of for a measure. For a measure. You get the sheep in the fold so you can count them, so that you can see if there's uh, any of them missing. Get your, all your eggs in one basket so you can count them. Sorry about the metaphor. All the small children, you're taking on a school outing and uh, they're uh, coming back to get on the bus and you're worried about whether you've got them all. You, you, you hem them in, you line them up against the wall and you count them to see if John is missing. Well, that's it. They're all hemmed in so that you can put them in the coach or a measure in the sense of how much. Well, water in a measuring jug, of course. Wheat in a sack. Or they used to count fish in a box, or money in their purse. The thing is kept in so that you can measure it. Now for the Lord to sustain us, we cast our burden to him, and he keeps it under control. And one of the ways in which he sustains us is that then we're able to measure it. We're able to see how large it is. Whilst we have the burden, it's heavy. It weighs us down. We crumple under it. It's too much for us. But when we cast it to the Lord, then we get the measure of it. We see it as it really is. We see that in the great plan and wonderful providence of God that it really was not that great. As we measure it against the grace of God and his mighty power that is available to us, we see that it really does not amount to as much as we thought it did. If it be a grief to us, then the eternal weight of glory that shall be ours eclipses it once we cast our burden to the Lord. Then we get the measure of it and it shrinks, it fades, it evaporates somewhat, the burden that is, and we are sustained. This sustaining also, I told you it's a big word, this sustaining also has the very strong thought of nourishing us. The keeping and the measuring has to do with food. Food sustains our life, especially uh, we think of food sustaining us when we're faint or when we're hungry or when we're ill or even when we're worried. <laughs> it's well known to some of us the, that we eat when we're anxious. An uh, ancient translation of this is 
cast thy burden upon the Lord and he will victual thee. <laughs> That's so quaint, but so good, so helpful. He will victual us, supply us with all the provisions that we need, food to strengthen us, food to refresh us, even quite simply, food to be enjoyed. And with such food, we will be sustained, nourish us. That's what it means. This sustaining means nourishing us, sustaining us, sustaining our spiritual life. Our burdens, especially our difficulties, will of course make us to be run down spiritually, ill, weak, undernourished, all in the spiritual sense. But this verse, verse 22, well, it means we will be fed. And so we come to this. He shall never suffer. He shall never allow. He shall never let the righteous be moved, to be moved. That is, to waver even, or to slip, to shake, or to fall down, or to be carried away, to be cast down. So here is the Christian. His burden, his lot, is not always easy. All his life, things can be difficult. But there are times when some things are almost overwhelming, be they ordinary or spiritual, physical or mental. But if we cast such burdens to the Lord, then the promise is we will be sustained. And the Hebrew poetry explains and elucidates. You have the first line uh, of the poetry there, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. And then the explanation in the second line, he shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Wow, this is good. In what way will we be sustained? We should never be moved. We should never waver. We should never slip, never be cast down completely. Now the not moving here is a very powerful illustration and a very great reality. We shall not be moved. There is a, that soldier on the field of battle. A host comes upon him but he will not be moved. His charge is to stay there and to hold that place. He will not be moved and uh, he will not give ground. He seeks no escape. <clears throat> he defies the odds. He shouts in triumph. So the Christian soldier, burdened in the fierce battle against self and sin and Satan, he is sore tried. He feels sometimes he has so little strength left the enemy comes in like a flood. Day after day he battles. Day after day his lot is to constantly ward off those spiritual enemies and those human weaknesses that will make him fly from the battleground and desert. But he casts his burden upon the Lord. He throws that burden out. He casts it to the Saviour. He says, I bring them Saviour all to thee. The burden is too great for me. And he is not moved. He makes his stand. He continues to stand. He is sustained. The Lord will not suffer him to be moved. Well, there is that ship at anchor in a great storm. So battered is the Christian that no one believes he can hold on in his own circumstances. How do you stand, Job, in your integrity? After all that's happened to you, curse God and die. How do you hold on, Jeremiah, in that stinking dungeon 
Surely this is the end. Where are you now, Daniel? In among the lions. This is your last night in this world, for sure. But all these righteous men were not moved. All cast their burden upon the Lord. They will not be moved. When the storms of life hit you, will you be able to hold on? Cast your burden upon the Lord. This word moved as from a house. Secure dwelling. To be out on the street. No, you won't be moved. The Lord will keep you. As a tree planted by the water side, it will not be moved. Will not move from a point of view. Something you hold dearly in the scriptures. Certainly your gospel beliefs, your trust in the Saviour, that he has saved you by the Saviour's death upon that cross and you have trusted in him and you hold on to it and none shall shake you from such a view, such a belief, such a faith. Well, we finish with the Apostle Paul as our great example, of course, as we so often do. Paul, (laughs) he had so many burdens. We read of some of them a little earlier. And as he was going back to Jerusalem, or rather uh, to Caesarea for the last time, well, he did go back to Jerusalem, and he knew, everyone was telling him, don't go there, Paul, <laughs> They're out, they'll kill you. That'll be your end if you go to Jerusalem. But Paul had cast his burden upon the Lord. And see what he says in Acts 20, verse 22. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and affliction abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. How he was able to cast all his burdens upon the Lord. The problems didn't go away. The opposition didn't uh, go down and evaporate. It was all there still, but nonetheless... He wasn't moved. He was a righteous man. He was a just man, saved by the grace of God. And he could so cast his burden upon the Lord that the worst thing that this world and Satan could throw at him, he could be sustained in. Do you see it, friends? Take encouragement from this verse. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Amen. Sing together hymn number 499. Why should I fear the darkest hour or tremble at the tempter's power? Jesus vouchsafes to be my tower. 499.